0: Hey, come on, just give it up for our worship team one more time. They do an amazing job week after week, don't they? That's good. Thank you, sir. H- how about some giveaways? We haven't done some giveaways in our new building yet, have we? How about this new building? Isn't it fantastic? It's, our, I think, our fifth service here. So who, who here is on version right now? Hey, who are my U version people? Anybody on it? All right, I see some hands going up. What's one of the three old treasures that we talked about over the last couple of weeks? Just one of the three. First one up, Chrissy. Worship. Worship? Well, it's what, what yeah, we did, but it wasn't one of our main three. Oh, That's okay. I know it's it's tough. It's a church, church rocks. There you go. All right. Now, what's another one? Anybody else? You matter. You matter. Come on, Rylan. All right. Mm-hmm. Let me let me, coming over here to the young people. Did I see a hand come up in the youth section? Did I see a hand come up in the youth section? Oh, oh! they got it already. We did. Church rocks. You matter. What's the last one? God's good. Come on. There you go. There you go. Come on. You should clap. Don't be bitter that you didn't get something. I know. Terrible. We are a competitive church, which means that we're sore losers sometimes, doesn't it? So the last couple of weeks, we, we do what we call a welcome weekend, which just talks about who we are as a church, and we focused on three things, that, that uh, God is good, that you matter, and that church rocks. And so if you want to learn some more about that, you can check that out on our podcast. Hey, also, just want to let you know, part of moving here means that we still have a lot of stuff at the Mosaic. So we're going to put something out on Facebook this week, but next Saturday morning from 9 until 12, from 9 to noon If you call this your home, we're going to be looking for you to show up. We're hoping to have about 20 or so people that will be there with us. Uh, And we just need to unload some stuff from the upstairs to the downstairs. And so it's just really simple. We just need arms and feet to uh, help accomplish that task with us. right? Many hands make four. Light work. All right, come on. Nine to noon next Saturday if you call this your church home. So, hey, I want to open tonight by reading one of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther. And this is how it reads, this life is not godliness, but growth in godliness, not health, but healing, not being, but becoming, not rest, but exercise. We are not now what we shall be, but we are on the way. The process is not yet finished, but it has begun. This is not the goal, but it is the road. At present, all does not gleam and glitter, but everything is being purified. I I share that with you, partly in connection to last week, we talked about the importance of being patient with ourselves and being patient with other people when we're being present in the church that we call home. I I share that with you because over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about something that might be sensitive to some of you because it might be a challenge that you're facing. If you're, you go to the dentist, right, and they're kind of poking around sometimes in there, and they say, you know, does this hurt, right, does this hurt, and all, of, you can't talk, right, so I don't even know why they do it that way. There should be, have some kind of button that you push that shocks them, I think is what there should be, right. It gives them a jolt so they really know, so I don't think I'm going to be able to find any dentist to actually do that idea, but right, you want to say this expression on my face right now says you're, you're hurting me. Some of you, You might have that expression on your face tonight, that this area of sensitivity in your life, but how many of you know those areas in our heart that are sensitive when someone touches it oftentimes is the part of our life that we need to stop ignoring so it can stop hurting, so healing can come. So Father, tonight as we dig into this message and your word begins to dig into us, as it touches a nerve, Father, I pray that we would not shrink back, but that we would press in so that you can heal every broken part of all of our lives. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together, amen. I brought a book I want to share a quote out of, and it's going to kind of set us up tonight. It's called Genograms. How many people have heard of genograms before? I know Seth and Carolyn's hands are going up right away, so I'm going to reference them later in the service. Genograms, the new tool for exploring the personality, career, and love patterns that you inherit. I got this in a class that I took in pastoral care and counseling years ago. It says a genogram is a type of a family tree, a diagram of a family over three generations. It follows the basic format shown in Diagram 1. You can't see that, obviously, from down there. But it's just, it's, if you, everybody's seen a family tree before, right? It's, and it looks just like that. To depict blood and marriage relationships from your grandparents' generation to your own. What takes this diagram beyond the standard family tree is that you enter information about ages, occupations, behavior patterns, and other observations that will help you understand your family better. Genograms can be extended to include family stories or myths. Those themes may still be present in your generation. You may be surprised to learn how these stories have shaped your life. They play a big part in establishing your identity. Closer attention to the stories will suggest that they are more than anecdotal or amusing tales. They carry instructive messages that tell people in the family who they are and how they should behave. You are who you are partially because your family told you its expectations. The first time I did this, we learned so much about me. We learned so much. Then Vanessa did it, and, and we began to learn about some of the conflicts that we were having in our marriage. There's certain things that you just assume. Well, of course, this is the way it should be done, right? Then you get married and somebody else says, Of course this is the way that it should be done. But their of course and your of course are two different courses. Are you tracking with me? And and sometimes you you don't realize that your of course isn't an of course, it's just a preference. And sometimes you don't even realize you have those preferences and you're not even sure where you got them from and you do this genogram and all of a sudden you realize it's a preference that just passes down from generation to generation to generation. Sometimes the things that get passed down from generation to generation to generation aren't just preferences. Sometimes they're not things that that are funny or anecdotal. Sometimes there are areas of brokenness that moves its way through a family tree and it comes to you through patterns of behavior that you've observed or the way that you have been treated. I'm, I'm, I'm titling this message tonight and next week, The Genealogy of a Critical Spirit. The Genealogy of a Critical Spirit. Sometimes brokenness in our lives, especially brokenness that characterizes us, has a family tree of sorts. For example, not always, but for example, depression can be the child of self-loathing and unfair criticism. You're tracking with me? There can be certain things in your life, certain attitudes, certain brokenness. They have parents. And sometimes the depression, its parent, is self-loathing and unfair criticism. We're gonna talk about the parents of a critical spirit. I also gave it this title because you might find that a critical spirit is a pattern that has been in your family for generations, and it's time for you to say it stops with me right? It's, at some point, there's certain areas of your life, you want it to be a dead-end street, that maybe you're suffering from it, and you can get healing from it, and part of it, it might be that you're going to get some healing from it tonight and next week, but at some point, you want to say, I don't want my kids to struggle with this critical spirit. I've struggled with it. My mother struggled with it. My grandfather struggled with it. And maybe it's gone on for generations that you can say, no, no, no. It's not passing on from me to them. It's going to stop Year. All right, so let me introduce you to our text. It's in 2 Samuel, 6, 2 Samuel 6, and I'm going to read 16 to 23. It's a bit of a chunk, but we're going to go all the way through it because it really sets us up for where we're headed. I, I talked a little bit about YouVersion. It's an app that you can get on your phone, Apple or Android, and we put the sermon in there every week and it populates all the verses for you. So you can scroll down and all these verses just come up on your phone. So you can create accounts, And then you find this live event. So 2 Samuel 6, 16 to 23. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent that David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And when he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins, and an iTunes gift card. Just making sure you're paying attention. Then all the people returned to their homes, and when David returned to his home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him, and she said, in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. But David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family, Right? Marriage counseling, right there, right? Something's just gone terribly wrong, right? Verse 22. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. This is where he take, makes a second huge mistake. These are another sermon in front of them. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I'm distinguished, right? Not good if you're a husband. Some things in the Bible are there for you to not do, and then some are to do, right? So these are not the steps that you want to take if you're arguing with your spouse. Listen to verse 23. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Now lots of people have lots of ideas about what that last part of that last verse means. I'm of the camp that this is God saying because of the person that she had become, there are now going to be consequences. And the consequence that was brought upon her by the judgment of God was that she was going to remain barren all the rest of her days. Now, sometimes when we read things in the Bible, we think that seems terribly unfair. But we have to remember, we cannot judge the fairness of things that we read in the Bible through our own human perspective. We judge the egregiousness of people's actions in Scripture based on God's response to them. You with me? Sometimes we might say, it looks like God was having a bad day, and He over punish, but we know that God is perfect in all that he does. He does not overpunish. Sometimes it means that we've got to raise the bar of the standards that we're looking for in others and in our own life. As I read that a couple of months ago, I really felt like the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. Fred, there's something in here. There's a study that I want you to do with the church. We're going to study the genealogy of a critical spirit. And I remember writing that down and posting something on Instagram and putting it out there. And I remember somebody said, can you let me know when you're going to preach that so I know when not to come? that Saturday, so... Appreciate your sense of humor. So, uh, all right, 1 Samuel eighteen twenty. This is, I want to jump to here. Because the question we should be asking is, has Michal always been this way, right? Is, is her relationship with David always been strained? How did she get to this place where such contempt came out of her life for her husband in a moment of sacred worship of the Lord that she would be judged in such a harsh way by the Father? First Samuel 18, 20. We just jumped back 8 to 10 years, right? We just moved back in time 8 to 10 years, First Samuel eighteen twenty. In the meantime, Saul's daughter Michal had fallen in love with David, and Saul was delighted when he heard about it. It's, it's interesting, the contrast, isn't it? 2 Samuel 6, in, in, verse, in verse 16, it says that he was, she was filled with contempt for him. Eight to ten years ago, she was smitten with him. She was head over heels in love with him. Something happened in her life to take her from a place of being head over heels in love with this man to a place of being filled with contempt, a place of negativity, of having what I would call a critical spirit. How did she Get there. I believe that the story of Mikhail tells us three things that make us vulnerable to a critical spirit in our life. We're going to do one of them tonight, and we're going to do two of them next week. The first one is this called My Family. Somebody say, My Family my family. And the two we're going to talk about next week, just so if you're wondering if you should come, we're going to talk about my relationships, and we're going to talk about my grief, my relationships and my grief. But the first one we're going to talk about is my family. You and I have no control over our family of origin, right? We don't get to pick which family we're going to be a part of but we are still responsible for how we react and and live out based on our family of origin experience. So 1 Samuel 17, 24 to 25, 1 Samuel 17, 24 to 25, this is where our story kind of picks up, where how Michal and David got together. 1 Samuel 17, 24 25. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, speaking of Goliath, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. Listen to what the king has offered. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. What's the reward, you might ask? He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Yeah, paying taxes was a problem then, just like it is today, right? So this, this is a big prize. If you go out and win this fight, you get to marry one of the king's daughters, which means that now you become a part of royalty, which typically you can only be born into it. There's a chance now for someone that's not of royal heritage to be married into royal heritage, and they don't have to pay taxes for the rest of the their life. Now, you know the story. Now, this isn't why David went down to fight Goliath. He defeats Goliath, and this becomes the, the beginning of his fame. He fights Goliath in defense of the Lord. So 1 Samuel 18 comes, right? Because at some point, you should be asking yourself the question as you're reading this in the Bible, well, who, who did he end up marrying? How did that play out? 1 Samuel 18, 17 to 21, one day Saul said to David, Right now, Saul is already jealous of David. I'm just filling in some gaps here. Saul's already jealous of David because the people of Israel love David more than they do Saul. So Saul says to David, I'm ready to give you my older daughter, Merah, as your wife. But first, you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For this is what Saul thought I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. Great father-in-law right here, huh? You thought you had problems in your family. Verse 18, who am I and what is my family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? David exclaimed, my father's family is nothing. See, David is this guy. He's poor, from the wrong side of the street, the wrong neighborhood. There's nothing about his family that would qualify him to now be a son-in-law to the king, to be married to one of the king's daughter. They're poor. They don't have the money that would be necessary to pay the money that was was traditional in this day and time to a wealthy family, to marry a wealthy daughter, much less a princess. So David knows, even if I get to marry, I can't bring the dowry that's going to be expected culturally of me. So when the time came for Saul to give his daughter Merab, in marriage to David, he gave her instead to Audrey ale a man from Mehola. In the meantime, Saul's daughter Michal, right? Here we go. This is where Michal comes in, had fallen in love with David, right? She's thinking to herself, please don't let him marry my sister. I know that's not part of any of your stories, right? Come on. It's interesting, isn't it? there's some challenges that we face in life, they've been around from the beginning of time. Envy, jealousy, manipulation, right? People posturing inside of families to get ahead of the other. All of this, even though we might not be able to relate to these things culturally, their human experience thousands of years ago, no different from ours today. Here's another chance. Listen to what, listen to what Saul said. Here's another chance to see him killed by the Philistines. Saul said to himself, but to David he said, today you have a second chance to become my son-in-law. See, this is, this is the thought I want to share with you. This is the beginning of the origin of the birthing of Mikhail's critical spirit. Her father being willing to use his daughter's affections as political leverage. What's the principle? The principle is that when I am neglected, instead of being cherished, my life becomes vulnerable to a critical spirit. Let me say that again. When I am neglected, right, in your family of origin, in the home that you grew up in, when you are neglected, instead of being cherished, my life becomes vulnerable to a critical spirit. This is the beginning, this is the inception moment in Mikal's life, I believe, where this critical spirit begins to be a part of her nature and a part of her character, all right, so this is where I want to go from here. I, I want to share with you a couple of things. One, I'm going to talk with you in a minute if, if you're that person that's struggling, but I want to start by talking to parents, right? And I'm going to, I want to share with you out of 16 years of, of parenting experience, things that we're endeavoring to practice in our own homes. And the first one is this, is that you've got to cherish your children through correction, Right? If if you don't want negativity and having a critical spirit, if you struggle with that and you don't want it to pass on to your children, then your children have to grow up in a home where they are cherished. Now, let me tell you this. Whether they are boys or whether they are girls when they are children and in their years of adolescence, boys and girls need to be cherished. It's not just for women. Now, I understand that the Bible talks about when it, in marriage that we're supposed to cherish our wives, and that's because our wives' greatest need to be cherished, and, and then a woman's response a wife's response is to honor her husband because our greatest need is to be respected. But I'm just here to tell you, that does not come a part of our life as men until we enter into our young adult years. As children, listen to me, as children and adolescents, they need to be cherished. Boys or girls, it's not a gender thing. And one of the reasons that is, is because if they don't feel cherished, then their heart, like Mikael, becomes vulnerable to negativity and a critical spirit. So I'm going to give you eight ways that you can cherish your child. You cherish your child through correction. You cherish your child. It's true, teenagers, right? Your parents cherish cherish you through correction. If you love your kids, you're going to give them boundaries. If you love your kids, you're not living your life to be their friend. You get to be their friend when you get to be adults together. And if you want to have a good friendship when you're adults together, then don't try to be their friend when they're young. I'm not talking about being mean to your kids or not caring about intimacy and love and relationships. I'm just saying that your role as a parent is not about friendship. God has put you in their life to put boundaries, to bring correction, to not ignore things when you f- see things that need to be spoken to, whether it's through issues of morality in their life or whether it's attitudes that they have. You cherish your child through correction. You cherish your child through celebration. you got to celebrate your kids. My mom did an amazing job of celebrating us. The kitchen All growing up was plastered with art projects, drawings that we did. There was a whole wall inside of our house that was, when I was growing up, that was dedicated. She didn't take it down. When people came over, when they had dinner parties, when there were church meetings, it was just this big wall of arts and crafts. And can I just tell you, neither my sister nor my brother deserved any of it, because none of us are artists today. Yet we would bring home drawings and they were the ugliest things that you would ever have seen. And my mom would look at it. What would she say? This is beautiful. This looks amazing. Did you do this by yourself? Now, some of you might be saying, well, what if it's not really beautiful? It's not about the art, it's about the heart of that child. You have got to, as a parent, learn to celebrate your child. At Every opportunity in sports that they're doing whether they're good at it or not things that they're trying whether they're good at it or not big deal about their birthdays Chris you don't have to be wealthy to do big parties find creative ways to have fun. But you want your child to grow up in a home where they feel like they're the most important person on the planet and you know that you're doing a good job when they grow up enough to get outside into the world a little bit and they have the realization that they're not the most important person in the world. But you've created that feeling in them. And if you've corrected them well, in addition to celebrating, then they will not have an attitude of entitlement. You cherish your child through correction. You cherish your child through celebration. You cherish your child by being present. Everybody's busy. Be present in your child's life. I'm telling you, we, we get one chance at being their parent. One chance at being their parent. At baseball games and ballet practices and dance recitals, be present. Find as many ways as you can to sit down together as a family. You might not be able to do it every night, but if you never do it ever in any week, I'm telling you, you're, you're missing it you're missing it. You've got to be present. You have to occupy the same time and space with your child. Even if they act like they don't want you to be there deep down inside, they're desperate to be cherished. And one of the ways that you cherish them is by you just keep showing up. Correction, celebration, being present, you cherish your child through your marriage. We teach a parenting class here called Growing Kids God's Way every year. If you're parenting children and you've never taken a parenting class, I'm just going to tell you, you're being irresponsible. You have the natural ability to make kids. You learn how to raise them. You learn how to raise them. And if you don't have the ability to take a class, then talk to us. Buy the curriculum and work through it yourself in your home. You have got to invest in your knowledge of parenting. I'm telling you, you're not born with it. You have to learn it. You have to learn it. And you want a curriculum that's based out of God's Word. There's a lot of crazy stuff out there about ideas about how to raise your kids. Your marriage, your marriage is the greatest gift that you're ever going to give your child. If you're a single parent, I'm going to talk about it in just a minute. But if you're married, your marriage is the greatest gift. The, the parenting curriculum that we use, Growing Kids God's Way, talks about that every child's greatest need is a sense of safety and security. That's every child's greatest need. And the primary way that a child learns to be safe and secure is through observing the marriage in their home. It's the greatest gift that you're going to give your child. Is You've got to work on your marriage. Marriage life groups that we do. Marriage getaways that we do. Reading books about marriage. It's the same way, right? You, in, anybody can get married, not... You learn how to have a healthy marriage, and you've got to work on it for the rest of your life. Rest of your life. And it's an incredible gift that you give to your children. If you're a single parent, right, one of the ways that you can create this sense of safety and security in your child's life is that you need to establish a handful of relationships in your life that your child can then begin to draw that sense of safety and security from. And can I just tell you, the local church is a perfect place to find those relationships. You cherish your child through your character. Oh, yeah. Because if your character is failing, then your parenting is failing. If your character is failing, your marriage is failing. As your kid gets older and they begin to see the patterns of duplicity that's in your life, as your kids get older and they can understand that you pretend to be this person at church, but then you're someone else when no one else is looking, you know what your kid is? Even subconsciously, you know what? They begin to connect these dots. If they loved me, they would be a better person because they understand if you were a better person, you could be a better father. And if you were a better person, you could be a better mother. And if you were a better person, you could be a better husband and a wife and so forth and so on. Kids, as they get older, understand that character is essential in order for you to be the person that they need you to be. And you cherish them by making your own character a priority. You cherish your children through their world. Even if the things that they're interested in are not appealing to you whatsoever, who cares? They're there, so get there. Spend some time with them, doing things, asking them questions about things that they're interested in. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not into ballet. But my daughter was for a season. And so when we came home from ballet practice, what am I doing? I'm asking her about her practices and her favorite songs and and people that she met in her class. And when we're at the recital, I'm the dad that's taking pictures and shooting videos like I've been into ballet for decades. I'm not into ballet, but I'm into her. And so I'm going to be into her world. You cherish your child through their world. You cherish your child through your world. this is a big one for dads because dads have a tendency to have lots of hobbies. And lots of hobbies sometimes have a tendency to take us out of their world. And oftentimes our hobbies become a place where we need to get away to rejuvenate. I get that. I understand it. I'm a naturally introverted person. I rejuvenate by being alone, but my personality is never permission for me to be absent when I'm supposed to be present. My children see things that I'm excited about I need to invite them into that world to do those things with me. When you invite your child into your world, and it's not forcing your world upon them or making them, uh, you know, having the expectation that they're going to become passionate about it like you are. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about extending invitations for them to be there with you because deep down inside they just want to share time and space with you. Invite them into your world. Cherish your children through a common world. Cherish your children through a common world. As parents, you've got to find things that you all love to do together. And it doesn't mean, right, if you're the dad, you get to pick the world that everybody's going to now have to be a part of, right? That's not what parenting is about. You've got to find things that you love together. We went camping for the first time last weekend to just try it one more time. But it's not something that we love together, right? Especially when it's raining. But our kids love it. So you know what? We're going to have to keep trying it. Because that's what part of being a parent is about. you got to find stuff that you can do together. And if all your kids like it and you don't make room for it in your life, You've got to find a way to create places and time for you all to go and do stuff together. And I'm telling you, you don't have to be, there's tons of free stuff that you can do. Put forth the effort. Correction, celebration, being present, your marriage, your character, their world, your world, a common world. These are just eight of many ways that you can create a home life where you cherish your children. We have a responsibility to create a boundary in the hearts of our child so that they're not vulnerable to the critical spirit. And one of the things that we learned from Mikal is that her father did not do this for her. He neglected her instead of cherishing her, and he set her up for failure. Now you might be saying, tonight, Fred, I get all that. Maybe you're an empty nester and your kids are grown and gone. Maybe you're here and you're not a parent. Maybe you're here tonight and you're single. Maybe you're married and you don't have kids yet. But what you're saying to me is, Fred, what about the 18 or 20-some years that I grew up in a home where I was the one that was neglected? What, what if your story is the story of Mika? What if you were the one that was neglected and, and you weren't cherished? What are you supposed to do? Well, one of the things that I would say, if your trauma was serious enough, then you need to talk to somebody like Seth and Carolyn, who, who are professional counselors for a living, He does it for the military. She works for Genesis Counseling, which is an amazing practice here throughout the 757. It could be that there's a complexity to your story. It could be that you suffered real abuse, whether it was emotional abuse or physical abuse or sexual trauma. You need someone who's gifted like a guide that walks with you on a journey and helps you begin to unpack how you got to where you are so that you can have a sense of empowerment to walk forward. Whether or not you need professional help or not, I am going to say to you that all of you need a church family to call home. You might say, well, Fred, that's your perspective because you're a pastor. And one of the things that I love about the first 10 to 15 years of my journey as a devoted follower of Christ is that I was sitting out there instead of standing up here. I wasn't in vocational ministry, came out of college with a degree in business economics and worked in the corporate sector, and can I just tell you, I was just as passionate during those years to have a church family as I am today because of what we talked about last week. God came, sent his son to forgive us of our sins so we could be in in heaven with him for all eternity. And then while we're waiting, he's given us a commission. We talked about it last week, to build his church. And the way we build his church, as we broke down that text in Matthew chapter 16, is that I begin to allow my life to be joined together with the lives of other people. And we talked last week that that when we do that, we create a community where people can come and experience the presence of God. But guess what? what? You also need the presence of God in your life because it's through his presence that you begin to find healing and wholeness. I can tell if you, you can spend the rest of your life getting professional help, but if you isolate yourself from spiritual community, you will never ever be fully healed. You've got to have both of them together. And one of the reasons for that is because I believe in something called the power of displacement. The power of displacement. Matthew chapter 12. Now, let me just set this up. Matthew 12, 43, 43 to 45, 43 to 45. I'm not saying that negativity in your life or critical spirit is always necessarily the result of something evil that's operating in your life. We're using the term critical spirit not as a demonic spirit, but we're talking about a critical spirit in the sense that it characterizes your nature. But this text does deal with the idea of an evil spirit. And I'm sharing this text not because I want to focus on the presence of an evil spirit, but this text teaches us something about the power of displacement that's true, whether or not you're dealing with an evil spirit or not. Matthew 12, verse 43. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, which is speaking to a person's life, swept and in order. Then the Spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation, he says. Listen to this thought. If you don't replace that which has been displaced, then your situation will always get worse. If you don't replace that which has been displaced, then your situation will always get worse. When you're dealing with spiritual entities, the idea of replacing is with the Holy Spirit. That's another sermon for another time. When you're dealing with issues of character, listen to this. You must immerse yourself in a new family. If you're here tonight and you grew up in a family of neglect and and you were neglected instead of being cherished and that's caused negativity and a critical spirit to define who you are, you need to discover the power of displacement. Let me read this again. You must immerse yourself in a new family, one that is going to cherish you and celebrate you. So that when negativity tries to return to your life, your life is too full of hope and happiness for there to be any room for anything else. Let me say it again. You need a new family. and You're going to find it in a church family. One that is going to cherish you and celebrate you so that when negativity tries to return, your life is too full of hope and happiness for there to be any room for anything else. Else, it's the power of displacement. When you immerse yourself in a healthy church family like this one, you begin to surround yourself with people that begin to love on you, not because you deserve it, especially if you have a problem with negativity. It's one of the reasons why we talked last week about this idea of you being patient with yourself and that finding a church where other people are going to be patient with you. You've got to be in a community of people where people just begin to love on you and celebrate you and cherish you. And What begins to happen is that begins to fill your heart with hope. And all of a sudden, it begins to push out these things that don't belong there. Some of you need negativity displaced from your life. It's not the only step, but it's a great first step to immerse yourself in a community of people that are going to love you unconditionally, just like God does. Just like God does. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. So this is how I want to close. We're going to close with a song. Paul, could you have some of your team also uncover the communion again? I want to do that. As we're singing this song tonight, as we were worshiping and seeing some of you come forward, I just felt like God kind of whispered in my heart, there might be some people here that didn't come because you felt unworthy or you need a second helping. Are you with me? Sometimes you just need a second helping. See, one of the things I love about this building is that it's a little bit brighter. The mosaic was God's provision for us for many years, but one of the challenges that we began to realize about that space is that it kind of created a culture of hiding. It was just easy to do things without anybody you were knowing that you were doing it. You know one of the things I love about this space is that it kind of feels like the way that we live every other part of our life in public. There's something about being conspicuous. And tonight, what I'm saying to you, if you're here tonight and you're saying, Fred, I struggle with negativity. I struggle with a critical spirit. And if you're not sure if you do and you're here with your spouse, just look at them and they'll give you a nod if you need some help. Sometimes revelation comes through the Holy Spirit and sometimes it comes through this, right? Your wedding ring. And I know it's going to take some courage, but can I just tell you it takes courage to overcome things in your life. It takes courage. So if you're here tonight, this is your way of saying, God, I'm tired of this negativity. I'm tired of being a critical person. God, I know that those, all those years of growing up, of just being wounded and neglected and part of, instead of being cherished, I, I want to overcome that. I don't want that to control me and direct me anymore. I want to be free from that. I'm just telling you, God meets you in moments like this. He meets you in moments like this. I'm just saying, as we stand in just a minute, as we sing together, I'm just, if, you, if you need it, you come and get it you take that cup and you take that bread, and that's your way of having a conversation with God of, God, I want this stuff out of my life. If you need to talk with someone and pray with someone, there's going to be people here at either side as we sing this song that are going to be standing up here that are available to pray with you, to pray with you. Father, stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment, as we step into this moment, Father, we say Let it be that tonight that people would draw a line in the sand and step across and say that person I used to be is coming to an end, that negativity is going away. A critical spirit is going to begin to die inside of me because something else is going to rise up, hope and happiness and joy and faith and goodness. Father, may it be that if someone's here tonight and they're a stranger to everybody else in the room, that they're going to have a sense of you speaking words of life over them. That you, their perfect Father, begins to celebrate them. That they would begin to have a feeling, maybe they've never felt it before, that by the power of your Spirit, that you would put it there in their heart of being celebrated and cherished. In Jesus' name, come on. Let's worship together. If you need to, you come.